Mind Over Matters is intended for small business owners who are open to new ideas for improving their businesses. The mind or mindset is usually the single biggest factor that determines the success or otherwise of a business. It is the first thing to work on. Next comes the matters of the business. Strategy, accountability, implementation and getting a full order book. Plus all things small business besides. If you learn just one new thing that gives you pause, then I have achieved my objective. Hey everyone, it's Peter Crew Brown here. Welcome to another episode of the Mind Over Matters podcast by Pair Planning. The topic for today is fulfilling a million dreams through storytelling with Gillian Seal from Taylor Dion. Gillian is the world's first storyteller, creating bespoke memory books. A bit more about Gillian. Gillian uses her unique experiences to create bespoke memory books for bereaved children to preserve their family memories. As a children's author, she designs illustrations, not clothes and stitches together words and ideas, not pieces of material. Each story is delicately embroidered with parental wisdom and created to perfectly fit one unique family to help a child through their grief. So about today's podcast, Gillian will share with us how anticipatory grief started her on this journey. We will discuss psychology and Gillian's recovery through mental health. This will include the challenges of being a dyslexic author. We will share Gillian's pioneering journey of attempting to create something truly original to make a difference. This will be the focus of the podcast discussion today. So Gillian, please share with the audience what makes you tick and who in the community you serve. Well, thanks for having me on, Peter. It's an um, absolute pleasure. I would say that the thing that makes me tick the most is artwork, watercolour. I feel like I, if I had a day to spend doing anything at all, it would be to be painting. And at the moment, Peter, it's a thing that I never have time to do, which is really sad because running my own business has meant that I've not had as much time to do the watercolor that I really enjoy doing because when I do it I get completely lost in it. Um, I love seeing paintings develop and I've attended art classes over the years and I'm self-taught as well quite a lot as well so yeah I love artwork love a bit of calligraphy that's what I really enjoy doing. Excellent and um who in the community do you typically serve? So the people in the community that I serve are children who have been bereaved when they're very still very young. So um, if a child has a parent, say a mother who's got cancer or a father who unexpectedly passes away from a stroke or something, I what I would like to do, Peter, is I'd like to take all the family memories, whether it's their favourite holidays, things they've done together, things that were important, their ambitions, stuff they've done, and make a sort of family, 
family legacy book with all the like a memory storybook yes which is very personally made just about that family and all the things that made that person so special so that as without that i feel that as children grow up their memories fade over time yes and they haven't when you're a child you haven't got as many memories to begin with if you're bereaved as an adult you've got a lifetime worth of memories to fall back on and to remember how someone is so special so i'm trying to recreate that for a child it's like having I suppose like a eulogy, but in a child-friendly way. Yes. So yeah, I think it's I a brilliant what, idea. I, I'm not yeah. aware of anyone else who does this. Um, I've this not researched it. it, but yeah, I think it's a truly wonderful thing because yeah. I guess, you know, getting through grief on its own is one thing, but having a memory that you can keep, uh, you know, for all time, um, I guess is, is a... A silver lining if you like in in that grieving process so i, I think the work you do is, is really uh, very noble and uh, I, you know i applaud applaud you for doing it thank you i think like you said peter it's not something that somebody's tried to do before um no. because in some ways it's a little bit overly ambitious because i'm trying to create something like you would if you spent many hours doing a quilt for somebody you're doing something very personal for them that you're yes. creating from scratch yes. Yes. that can't be done, that can't be duplicated so easily. Yeah. yeah. So it's a little bit ambitious to try and do it for many families. Yeah. Um, well, look, being a pioneer has, um, I guess, benefits and, um, and challenges. You know, the benefits are you're doing something new and you can create your own journey. But I guess the challenges are you have to work things out on your own. That's true. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, um, Gillian, as you know, um, we agreed on a few questions to try and make the most of our time together. Um, so moving to, you know, the first of, of the questions which form the substance of the podcast, um, I know that there are many approaches to the subject of supporting children through grief and bereavement. Uh, what's your specific approach? I feel that it's the best thing that you can do for children who are grieving is you want them to bring up conversation naturally about somebody they love they have loved and lost yes you want it to, you don't want it to be forced but you want it to kind of come up naturally that they can be comfortable speaking about it and i think the only way to do that is to encourage conversation i think it's hard for parents because they have to go through their own grief so if a wife loses a husband or vice versa, and they've got a child to look after, they've got to take care of their own needs and grief, grieving process while also being concerned about their child. Yes. So in some ways they've got a very difficult task to cope with what they've got in their own life and trying to make it cope with the child. But for me personally, I feel it's good to encourage the conversations and say, oh, do you remember when your daddy did this? And this was really fun time that we had together doing that. and all of this is sort of encouraging them to be comfortable talking about um, yes. grief. And I guess that helps preserve the memory, not, not making the passing of the loved one uh, something, um, I guess, ominous that people try and put in the back of their memories to, to engage in the best parts of that person's life and the positives and and be able to talk about it. I think in our society, you know, there is a bit of a um, stigma almost attached to death, even though we're all going there to is. die, which is ironical in a way. But we don't like to talk about it, do we? Exactly. Yeah. 
And I guess that is a very neat segue into our second question. Um, many people struggle to talk about death and dying, as we mentioned, especially with young children. How do you approach this delicate subject when you know it needs to be, um, needs to be done? Well, it's a really interesting question, Peter, because in my own experience, it's something that I have struggled with personally. So I, I, as I sort of explained to you, the first story I ever wrote was for a friend of mine who's got muscular dystrophy and she's my age, but she's got this life limiting condition which progresses over time, her muscles get weaker over time. So she's now needing oxygen to breathe, struggling with mobility, etc., And it's only gonna get harder. But what's really interesting, Peter, is that I went to bereavement counselor myself to talk about my friend and to help me through that anticipatory grief process. And uh, just and out of curiosity, did your friend attend with you or you went on your own? She didn't. Yeah. She didn't so it was your journey to, to understand how it could affect someone close yeah. to you. But what's really interesting, Peter, is that the, the bereavement counsellor said to me, have you tried talking to your friend about death and dying? And I said, no. I said, I've spent four years writing a book for my friend, but I haven't had that conversation with her. We both know but I haven't felt comfortable openly talking about it. And that is really difficult, Peter, because what I'm trying to do is to help people talk about grief. But personally, it's something that I have personally struggled with. Yes. And I think in some ways, Peter, my friend would be very comfortable talking about it. And it's not, she's more comfortable with it because she's known all her life that she's had a diagnosis. That means the inevitable, she probably won't live as long as everybody else. But I personally, find it much harder I, maybe I don't know if it's very British I don't know it death is a very difficult topic to bring up and I think it's difficult to bring up with somebody who know is dying yeah I dare say that the taboo if you like associated with death is kind of a western thing um, I, I believe there's many cultures who really embrace the concept of death and you know they almost celebrate it um, whereas in the west certainly in South Africa where I grew up and in Australia um, the sentiments that you mentioned um, are, are the same. You know, people choose not to talk about it. And um, it's a great shame. My mother's currently in the final days of her life in South Africa, and she's very wise and, you know, she's happy to talk about it. And she's been planning for her death for a long time. And, um, you know, I really love the concept of being able to talk about it with her, even though it's confronting and sad. You know, you can't, mm -hmm. you can't, uh, move away from from reality you have to you know talk about it and uh, i think it's it's doing a disservice to the one who's got the ailment um to not talk about it mm -hmm. i think that's very true that's yeah well look um yeah i really appreciate you sharing this personal story with your friend i'm sure that um, it's something that um, is very close to your heart um moving on to the next question if i may what are, say, the three biggest roadblocks concerning bereavement books that your clients currently have? Well, I would say that definitely one of the biggest roadblocks, Peter, is that there are lots of families out there who it would be lovely to give a book to, to give this personal gift written specially for them, for the children to help them growing up. But the difficulty, Peter, is that it's a sensitive topic and it's also all about timing as well because it would be really insensitive to speak about it when somebody's recently been bereaved.
but everybody's journey through grief is different. And actually somebody might want to book six months down the line and somebody might not be ready for a few years. So it's, how do you get the timing right? Because when I set up my business, Tailored Yarn, I thought I'm gonna be writing books for families with terminal illness. So when they've got a diagnosis, they know that they want to leave their children something special in a legacy, a fictional legacy. But actually in reality, Peter, that might be completely the wrong time because if you have a terminal illness, you've got um, treatment to go through, you've got the hope of recovery, you might have operations, you've got all this other stuff, you just wanna spend time with your family. It might be completely the wrong time. It could be a distraction to many other things that are higher yep. priorities. Yep, so my problem is how do I know when it's the right time for somebody? That's that's a difficulty and you don't, you wouldn't want to put pressure on any, anybody. You, you don't want to go for a hard sell. You, you want them to come to you in their own time when it's right for them. That's, sure. that's really, so it's very much, for me, it's very much telling people it's available and if it's right for them, when it's right for them to know where to find me but you don't want to be pursuing people you don't want to put pressure on anyone it's it's a very sensitive topic and that's probably one of the biggest roadblocks is it's it's a difficult issue to getting the timing up. right yeah 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 and, and you, um, as you say you don't want to be getting in the way of many other things that are happening at the same time you want to be a facilitator rather than uh, a hindrance that's right so I would say that the second roadblock that I would speak about would be, um, as we've already briefly mentioned, it's wonderful to have an idea that's not been thought of before to pioneer yes. a new idea, but nobody's looking out for it. Nobody knows it exists. So in a way, you're trying to, you've got a bigger challenge in front of you because um, if everybody knew about bespoke bereavement books, you might get lots of people looking for you but nobody's heard of it. Nobody's expecting it. So yeah. that's, that's one of the troubles is that it hasn't been done before and people aren't looking for it. Yeah, um, so you, you need to, I guess, create the market as it were uh, for, for this service that you provide. And I guess you've got to do it very skillfully and tactfully. You can't be promoting something like this in a time of great sensitivity for these families. No, that's true. And are there any other sort of, if you like, roadblocks um, relating to bereavement books um, that you can think of? I think so. I think up until now, I've been doing the business all by myself. Um, now I've got 10 people, volunteers helping me to do it, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, but I think the difficulty is it's, I, I actually, I got put forward by my university, Chester University last year for a competition, entrepreneur competition. And I did a presentation, like, have you watched Dragon's Den? That type of thing. You have to do a presentation, a business presentation in front of judges and they yes, judge yes, I have. you and decide whether you win the prizes. So I didn't win the competition, but the feedback I got from the judges were, how on earth do you make this a sustainable business? Because it's a lovely idea to give out books to families, but how does your business survive? You've got to make sure that you've got a good business plan where you can sustain the business. Because if you're going to want to write 20 stories or even more, you'd have to employ other authors or illustrators. So you'd need to have the income side sorted. And that's the challenge for me is that it's partly charitable. So it's a community interest company. It's 
wanting to do the charitable side, but needing to have a very good business side to balance that out so that you can survive and sustain the business. Yeah. As, I, it grows, I, as a business advisor, I can kind of see that making it a sustainable business model would be difficult. And uh, I guess yeah. you have mentioned that you um, able to um, use volunteers and um, I, I know that you have other business interests. So, you know, if this is your passion, I guess it's something that you're happy to um, help sort of sponsor or sustain through contributions from another business and using volunteers. Yes, yeah. yeah. Wonderful, but you know, I just repeat again, um, I think the work you do is so noble and um, you know, as a, as a fellow human being, all I can say is it's, it's wonderful to know that there's people like you out there who you know, are so concerned about other people's um, sort of you know, dealing with grief in a, in a sort of humane way. Yeah, and I never, if you'd asked me 20 years ago, Peter, what I would end up doing with my career, this is the last thing I would have thought of at the time. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it, how yeah. our careers take twists and turns. And we typically end up, I think, where our passions lie. You know, as you get older, you understand more the importance of doing fulfilling work. Um, so, yeah, you know, you've landed on a, in a place where I think society, um, you know, stands to gain a great benefit from, from what you do. Um, just moving to the next question. So what benefits have you seen for clients who have requested memory stories from you? So it's interesting. The first book that I've done so far, Peter, was for my best friend and she didn't exactly request it. It was more that I found inspiration from her to write the story. And I spent maybe, I spent quite a lot of time writing her story and I gave it to her niece and nephew when it was finished and they were absolutely delighted with it because not only could they see their names in the book and things, they could also identify her favorite stories and people and places had special meaning to them. So I think it meant a lot to her niece and nephew who were quite young, maybe um, say about four and eight years old. Yeah. So, um, the book that I wrote was about 14 chapters long, but it has illustrations on every page because although as children get older, older, they don't usually have many illustrations in books. As yes. the books get, sure. But I, I'm trying to. Um, it might be a bit controversial, but I love having the illustrations in there, and I think sure. the kids enjoy that as well. I think that. And that's your point of difference, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. And I guess the benefit then for clients is that they've got this enduring memory uh, of um, of the person. Um, you know, who's usually passed. And I guess, yeah. you know, there can't be many greater awards uh, than, you know, having that, that sort of very positive memory. Yeah. Uh, are there any other benefits you want to talk about? Um, I think it, the, one of the other benefits is I know that often when families know they've got a terminal illness, they'll often make a memory box with items that are sentimental in it yes where they feel that by putting it into a storybook you have the opportunity for the child to talk to the other parent to read the story together and yeah. to discuss things about it so why did the character do this and why did this happen at this place or it, it sort of encourages the conversation there's, there's interaction with it 
Yeah, it encourages dialogue. So it's Absolutely. much more meaningful than opening a box and trying to yeah. weave a story around uh, a few objects. Yeah, and it's something unique. It's like it's like a quilt in that it's done, you know it's been created for that person individually and all the time that's gone into it. I think sure. that's what else is it very special. Fantastic. Well, Gillian, um, we're making some great progress here. Um, just on to the final question. Are there any ways that anyone in the audience can get involved with Taylor John activities straight after the show? I always like to have, a, if you like, a call to action for anyone who loves what you do and is interested to find out more and potentially get involved. Awesome. Yeah, we've got, um, we've got a website, so they can look up information on Taylor John website. Can you maybe um, just spell that out, um, how we kind of spell that and um, yeah, the yeah. specifics of the website? So www.taylorjarn is spelled T-A-I-L-O-R-E-D-Y-A-R-N. So dot com? Dot com. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. It, so it, people find it hard to get their head around this because as you said in the introduction, it's not about clothes, even though it's the idea of a tailor who would make clothes, yes. but would tailor a story to the family. And it's interesting to use the word yarn because that also means story, but as well as it means material. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I get it. Yeah, so the <laughs> tailor is the person who does the sewing. That's the spelling of it. Yeah, that's where you spell it. Um, so Gillian, thanks for sharing that information. Um, I guess just one other piece of, um, of um, information that might be of interest for our um, guests, sorry, for our audience today. Um, is there any way that um, anyone could contact you besides going through the website? Um, are you on LinkedIn well, or is there I am someone? on LinkedIn. So I'm on LinkedIn and I'm quite active on LinkedIn. And also I've got an Instagram platform Okay. Uh, Taylor John Stories on Instagram. And I'm also on Twitter, but I'm not what, quite that. What's the best way for people to reach out to you, do you think? Um, I think through Instagram or LinkedIn would be the top two favorite social media platforms to contact me. And the on. spelling of your name, if you could just do that. Oh, yeah. G I L L I A N. And then Seal, which is S for Sugar, E A L E. Okay, so it's like right. The animal, but with an E on the end. And they'll find you in the Liverpool area if there's multiple Jillians in yeah. out there. I've actually deliberately used my maiden name because it's more easy to identify uh, than Smith, which was my married name, oh, which fantastic. is very difficult to <laughs> There's okay. too many around. <laughs> yeah, I know how yeah. it is. My, my, my surname is Crew Brown. If I had Peter Brown, you can imagine how many there would Absolutely. be. <laughs> um, <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Gillian, um, I guess it just leaves me then to uh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. As I've said a couple of times, I have the utmost respect for the work you do. And, uh, you know, society owes you a great debt. So, you know, thanks for sharing your message today. And thanks for doing the work that you do. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> just finally, this is Peter yeah. Crew Brown signing off from episode six of the Mind Over Matters podcast.